Um, we're in a series, a second series, second sermon in our series that we're calling Identity Theft. Uh, if you were not here last week, I would really like for you to go on the website and check that message out, not because of the messenger, but because of the message. Um, that message is kind of foundational to what we're going to be saying uh, here in these next few weeks. I'll review a little bit this morning. But uh, this, this whole issue on who we are and our true identity is, is extremely important to us as we live out our Christian life. And I think it's something that we have not heard a lot about until the last 20 years or so. I can remember when I was first a Christian, I was read some teachings of Dr. Neil Anderson in a book called Freedom in Christ and, and was talking about who you are in Jesus Christ and how you get your sense of self-image and self-worth. And that's what we're talking about. And the enemy of our souls combined with our culture, try to steal that Christian identity from us and try to give us an identity that is not uh, a healthy one. And so hence the name identity theft. And the enemy will whisper to us. The culture will advertise to us. The culture will press down upon us um, that you are, have to be a certain type of person, that you need to find your self-worth in this or that or, or this over here or reach down inside of you to find your self-worth, be whoever you want to be, whoever you are. And all that sounds really good, but many of that goes contrary to the Word of God. And who you are in Christ Jesus is one of the most important things that you can be able to realize as a Christian. And when you grab that, a lot of things can really change. Now, I will be the first to admit that I think this is hard for me to preach. It's hard for me to explain. It's hard for me to be able to enunciate. I feel like I don't really do a good job at this, but that doesn't mean I should stop preaching it. It also means, uh, as I was preparing this message this week, I realized that I wasn't really living up to some of the things I'm going to preach to you this morning. And, and knowing who I am and making sure that my identity is not in my sermon or not in my church or not in, we used to have attendance boards, didn't we? Not in the attendance board. And, 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 and I was convicted that I don't think I'm living up to, to what I am preaching you this morning. But if you want, really want a pastor that totally lives up to what he preaches to you, you probably want him to preach a little too low. You probably want him to preach a little too low. And if I can be able to totally live up to every single thing that, I, that this Bible says and I'm trying to preach to you, I'm probably not preaching the Christian life as it really ought to be preached because we're all on a journey. We all are on a journey. And I don't know if there's ever a point that I totally arrive in this whole identity issue that I've got it licked and I've got it wrapped around my little finger. But it's God's word. And I'm working through it, and I'm trying to push my Christian identity deep down into my spirit so it's at the very core of who I am, just like I know a lot of you are as well. We defined identity last week, and we said it's, it's your sense of, of, of self. It's your sense of self-worth that gives you meaning and purpose. Everybody has to have significance Everybody has to have some meaning and purpose in life. And that's not an egotistical statement to be able to say that. It's just a very honest statement to be able to say that. If you don't have any meaning, if you don't have any purpose in your life, that's one of the reasons that we have so many people on depression meds. That's one of the reasons we have so many people that are unhappy with life. 
unhappy with marriages, unhappy with, with, with a lot of things is because they don't get up in the morning with a sense of purpose. They don't get up in the morning with a sense of significance. They, they don't have, uh, they don't really know who they are, whether that would be a Christian thing or not a Christian thing. So when we're dealing with identity, it's, it's your sense of worth. It's your, 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 your sense of self. Who really are you? And that's kind of a weird thing to even ask. Who are you? That's kind of a weird thing to even ask someone. It's not even an easy question, I think, to be able to answer. I don't think it's one that, that we normal human beings even contemplate that often. Who am I? But it's probably one of the most profound questions of life that anyone can ever be able to think upon. And what I have found in my 20 years of pastoring is that many times on those very difficult issues and those issues that go deepest to our core and those questions that force us to be most self-reflective, we just kind of avoid a lot of those. Identity is your sense of self. Where you get your significance and your purpose. Another way to be able to say that that I ran across this week is, is your truest self. Your real deep down in here somewhere. What's your truest Self, because we all have some different selves, right? I have a self that's a father. And I have a self that's a pastor. I have a self that's a boss. I have a self that's a husband. We all have different. But who, when you, when you get real down in there, what's my truest? What's my truest self? What's, what's the most stable, uh, not changing core thing about me? And through all of life's circumstances, what, 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 is, what, is, what is the most stable, the most true, the, the, the most never changing, the core about? That's my identity. Now, whatever that may be, that may, that'll be my identity. And we said also last week something that's it's kind of hard to be able to think about, and I've never really thought about this too much until I started to dig deeper in this, is, is, is identity must be received. It, uh, someone must name you. Identity must be received. It's, 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 it's hard for me to, to be able to name myself because if I name myself, it's probably because of some of my achievements. And if, and if I identify because of my achievements, then, then I can lose that because I, those achievements will eventually be, I'm no longer that anymore or somebody will break my record or somebody will do what I was doing that I achieved and I don't no longer have that. It's hard to really look deep inside myself to find my identity, but that's exactly what the world would teach you to do that. One of the reasons it's hard to dig deep down inside myself to, to find my identity is I find conflicting desires in my spirit. May both be good things, but they conflict. You know, I, I want to lose this gut. But also I want to eat four bagels with cinnamon and sugar on them. Right, Sue? I did that last night. I had four bagels last night at home. She, she goes, where'd the bagels go? And I said, both of those things are not necessarily, I don't think four bagels is bad. It was pretty good to be quite honest with you. But our, when we look down inside of ourselves, we have conflicting desires. And we're, we're a mess of desires when we look deep down inside of us. When we look deep down inside of us, uh, we're, we're not the same people all the time. Meaning, 
Sue and I have been married 20 years, and Sue has probably been married to about four different guys in the 20 years we've been married. It's all been me. But at 57, I'm not the same person I was at 47, or at 37, or 27, and I'm sure not that idiot I was when I was 17. I was an idiot. You were too. You were an idiot. And if I, at 17, and all my idiocy at 17, reach down and figure out who I am, that's going to come out not very good. I'm, I, we change. So if I totally depend on who I am to be able to, to reach down inside of me to determine, name myself, I'm different people at different times in my life. Naming myself is, is, there's a lot of pressure on me to name myself too. If I name myself as a preacher, that's who I am and I find my identity that way, then, then my reason for existence depends on this 30 minutes right here and how well I do in this 30 minutes. And how many of you pat me on the back and how many heads I count at the altar and, and how many Facebook messages I get or emails I get. And that's, that's pressure. That's pressure. I don't know how many of you saw the movie Chariots of Fire, but one of the runners, in, uh, uh, Abrams was his name, one of the runners said before he ran for the gold medal, he says, I have 10 seconds to prove my existence. What a, what a, what a crushing pressure. What crushing pressure that is that I have to prove my existence. And if, if I look down deep inside from some achievements, that's approving my existence. There's lots of reasons that, that reaching deep down inside of me is, 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 and finding down inside of me who I really am is probably not the best way to take. You have to be named. And we said last week that a lot of people name us and name us good things. I said, my mother and father named me, not Mark. They didn't name me. They named me son. I didn't earn that. And nothing to do with that. They named me son. It's a really good thing. It's good to be a son. It's good to be a daughter. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a good place to find identity. Maybe not the best place to find identity, but it's, a good place. Sue, Sue, on November 8th, 1995, named me husband. I didn't earn that. I didn't have to. She just, out of her own free will, she, she bestowed that upon me by agreeing to marry me. Husband is a, is a good identity. Maybe not the very best identity, but it's a good identity. You people of this church, when... When you voted on me on Palm Sunday of 11, I think it was, you, you named me pastor. You named me your pastor. That's, that's good. I'm proud of that. Maybe you shouldn't be at the very top of my list. But you, you name, I, didn't, I didn't really, I didn't earn that. I didn't pay you off to get that. I, you just gave me that. And, and you just decided that that's who you wanted me to be able to be and I received that and that's a good thing I think I told in the second service I'm not sure if I told in the first service a story about a a, a, a young girl um, I don't know how long ago this was and she was in her late teens early 20s and 
and she was just really having trouble in her life and, and, and as a Christian, and I was talking to her about who she was in Christ and the glorious great things that she's forgiven and so forth and so on, and she looked at me and said, yeah, but what good is all that if I can't get a date? Where was her identity? I think it's great, Pastor, that I'm forgiven and it's great that I'm a citizen of heaven and it's great that I've been bought with a price and it's great that I'm God's daughter and I've been adopted in this family. All that is really great, but what good is it if I can't get a date? Because getting a date is... What's an identity issue? Getting a husband. A, getting a husband's a good thing. Getting a date's a good thing. But as I said last week, and I don't think I said it in the first service, it's like, it's like a deck of cards. Nazarene preacher got a deck of cards in the pulpit. I mean, there's, there's, there's good cards in this deck, and there's aces, and, 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 and there's, there's queens and kings, you know. But you'd like for that best card to be at the top of the deck, especially if I'm dealing to myself. And, and this girl who, who, who said that she knew she was a Christian, that, that she felt that was a good thing, but it wasn't at the top of her deck. And she needed to take her Christian identity and put it at the top of her deck above the identity of if a boy or a guy was going to ask her out or eventually marry her. Lots of good identities. There's lots of good ways that you can be able to, they're not wrong, they're not sinful, but maybe shouldn't be at the top of the deck. And there is one identity that if I'm a Christian today, the identity that I have as a, as a child of God, as a son of the living God, as, as a Christian, that has to come from somewhere in the deck. Because for all of us, it's somewhere in the deck. But somehow we've got to get it to the top of the deck. Who names you? And that's where we finished last week. Who will you allow to name you? Who will you give as much, so much influence in your life that you will allow that person, that thing, that event to name you? I don't have anyone in mind at all, but I wonder if there's someone here who was abused as a child and that event still names you. still names you. I, 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 I wonder if, if some people in here have gone through a divorce. I don't care whose fault it was. It doesn't make any difference whose fault it was. But that event still names you. I wonder if there's someone in here that has lost a husband, lost a wife, lost a child, lost in that event is naming you. In high school, you were called geek, nerd, jock, cool, preppy, all state, all city, MVP, whatever. 
in that event, that designation. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing, well, I guess there's something wrong with somebody calling you a nerd, but there's nothing wrong with MVP. There's nothing wrong with all city. There's nothing wrong with quarterback. There's nothing wrong with most valuable. There's nothing wrong with any of that kind of stuff. As long as it's not at the top of the deck. Who names you? Who will you allow to name you? Who will you give that right to name you? And that name gets to be at the top of the deck. It's a wonderful name as a husband. But like I told you, a car crash could end that this afternoon, and I'm no longer a husband. And my whole sense of self-worth and self-being and self-identity and would be washed down the tube. And I wouldn't even know how it, who I was anymore unless if that was at the top of the deck. I could lose my vocal cords today. We could find a cancerous tumor on my vocal cords and and I have to go to emergency surgery and they have to remove my vocal cords and I no longer have a pleasing voice for any of you all to listen to. And if my identity was what in what the 30 minutes that I do this, what happens to me? It's good that I feel good about myself because I get the privilege of preaching God's word, but it can't be at the top. The scripture we we looked at last week is the same one we're going to look at this week. It's in Matthew chapter 3. It's a familiar scripture because it's the one where Jesus was baptized. And in in Matthew chapter 3, the very first gospel, God inspires Matthew to be able to write these words. Scripture says, Matthew 3, 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, no, man, I you're Jesus. I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me. I think any of us would have probably said the exact same thing. What else do we have? Jesus replied, no, 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 no. We need to do this. Let this be so. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, a voice from heaven names him. Before Jesus, this isn't, this, Jesus hadn't even started his ministry yet. Jesus, Jesus is just now breaking away from being a carpenter's son. And at the start of Jesus' ministry, for some reason, the Father decides that heaven must break open and Jesus and others around there must hear these words, this is my, this is my son. This is my son. Whom I am well pleased or who I love, depending on your translation. And with him, I am well pleased. Even Jesus, by the Father, 
was named, given an identity. And it's fascinating, friends, this is at the start of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is not getting ready to go to the cross tomorrow. He's, this is at the start of his ministry. So it's like the Father saying, Jesus, you're going to get ready, and you're going for three and three and a half years. You're going to travel all through this area here. You're going to do a lot of different things. People are going to call you a lot of different things. You're going to have some high times. You're going to have some low times. There's going to be some things that are going to work really well. There's probably going to be some things that are not going to work really well. There, there are some people that are going to want to put you on their shoulders and, 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 and pronounce you the Messiah and pronounce you that, that, that you ought to come in and take Pontius Pilate off of his uh, uh, rule and reign and all that's going to happen to you. So before all that happens to you, I've got to tell you who you are. And here's who you are. You're my son. And I am pleased with you. Now, I'm not going to go here, and I could. But there's a marvelous lesson in here for mothers and fa- earthly mothers and fathers to their earthly sons and daughters. And I think you can probably figure that out yourself. That my sons know that I am pleased with them for no other reason than they are my sons. You may strike out with the bases loaded in the bottom of the knife, but you're my son. And I'm well pleased. You may bring straight F's home on your report card, and we'll deal with that issue. We'll deal with that issue. But son, my love for you and my pleasure I take in you doesn't have anything to do with what you do. You're my boy. You're my daughter. And you are accepted. And I mean, I like everything you do. There is nothing that can ever change the fact that you're my daughter and you're my son. And for some reason, the Heavenly Father decides that the Son of God needs this lesson. Who names you? Who names you? And before Jesus goes out and does all these ministry, the Father says, "You you need to remember that you're my son. So a a broadening of the definition of identity this morning is, is, listen, and if if, if you're a person that takes notes or writes in your Bible, this may be something that you want to write down. Your identity is what is identical about you in all situations. Your identity is what is the same about you in all situations, no matter what I wish I could pick a better word than this, but I'm not smart enough. All the roles we play, I don't like that word roles because it almost lends to pretending or, or acting, but I have a role as a father. I have a role as a husband. I have a role as a pastor. I have a role as a preacher, and those are two different roles, pastor and preacher many times. I have a role as a boss. There, there's, there's a lot of, I have a, I have a, I have a role as a district advisory board member, whatever that means, on this district. I have a role as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene. And in all of those roles, I act a little bit differently in all of those roles because when Sue and I have a serious, well, stepped on Bible, I'm going to hell, I guess. 
When Sue and I have a serious conversation, I'm in a different mode than when Christopher and I have a serious conversation. And when Christopher and I have a serious conversation, I'm in a different mode than, than I am when one of my staff and I have a serious conversation. There's different roles that we play. But what is identical in all of those roles? What stays the same in all of those roles? Yes, I'm in my father role now, but I am a Christian, and that determines how I execute my father role. Yes, I'm in my husband role right now, but I'm a husband but I'm a Christian, and that is determining how I execute my husband role. Yes, I'm on the tennis court right now, but I'm a Christian, and that determines how I deal with that close call right there on whether the ball hit the line or not. Or that determines how I deal with myself when, when I think the guy across has made some really bad calls against me. What is identical about me in all situations? And before Jesus goes out and does all kinds of different situations in ministry, the father says, you're my son. I'm pleased with you. Now, it's fascinating that in Matthew, right after this passage of Scripture, we go immediately to this next story. And it's the temptation of Jesus. And this is, this is fascinating. And in Matthew chapter 4... Verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Some of you know where we're going with this. And after Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, duh, he was hungry. Okay? The tempter, the evil one, the devil, came to him and said, If well, that's what God just told him that, right? I mean, that, at the end of chapter 3, that's what we had, that story. At the end of chapter 3, and the first thing we have in chapter 4 is these temptations. And what is the temptation? If you really are the Son of God, well, you know, Jesus, it's no, there's no if about that. I mean, the Father's already named me. You, you don't, you know, this world doesn't name me. You don't name me. I don't really have to prove to you that I'm the son of God, to be quite honest with you. And there's many places in Scripture, especially in Mark, that Jesus told people not to tell him he was the was son of God. And it's like, it's like, I don't have to prove to you that I'm the son. I, I, I am the son of God. So isn't the interesting that the temptation here is an identity issue? If you really are, if you really are, yeah, I know we all heard it back there in that baptism that happened last week or whenever that baptism happened. But if you really are, why don't, why don't you tell these stones to become bread? You're so hungry, right? Why don't you tell these stones to become bread? And so if you really are, why don't you do some big miracle? And, and so Jesus was tempted to be able to work out his identity in some big way that God really didn't want him to, some big show-off way, some big, some big way that I can prove to ever, all of you that I'm the son of God. Jesus didn't have to do that. He knew who he was. He's been named. He was named. Who names you? This, the story continues here. Uh, go to the next slide, please. Then the devil, first temptation, right? We all, we, we, some of us learned this in, in, in Sunday school. Second temptation, devil takes him, up on a holy, takes him up to the holy city and has him stand on the highest point of the temple. 
And he says the same thing. If you are If you are the son of God, why don't you do some big miracle here and, and just prove to us that you are the son of God? And, and Jesus basically says, no, I don't have to do that. I, I know who I am. I can do a miracle if it serves a purpose. I can do a miracle if, if, if it's in my father's plan. But I don't, I just not, I'm just not a vending machine that you put a quarter in. I do a miracle just to please you. And there has to be some purpose. There has to be some rhyme and some reason. This has to fit into the Father's plan. And I just don't, don't show off with little miracles. You know, if I could do miracles, I'd show off all day long, right? You would too. Okay? That's why we're not the son and the daughters. That's why not, I'm not the Jesus. I'm not Messiah. Because we just show off all we could with our miracles. Jesus knew who he was. And why did he know who he was? He was named. He was named by the Father. He was named by the Father. And then, and then the last part of this, again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. And he says, this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. This I'll, gi- I'll give this all to you. Like you don't have enough already? You're the son of God, right? Like, like, like you don't have it all anyway? Like, 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 like Lucifer could somehow add to what Jesus already had? He was the son of God. And, and Jesus' response, as, as we remembered, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. He was tempted with identity issues. And it's like Jesus says, I already know who I am. I don't have time to go there, but it's like in, it's like in Chronicles or Kings. There's this story about David, and I, I, I may go there next week, but it, some of David's men wanted David to kill somebody and, and, and just to kind of show David's authority when he was the king of Israel. And David's, and I'll go through this next week, David's response was, don't you think that I know that I'm the king of Israel? I don't have to go kill this guy to prove to myself that I'm in charge. I don't have to go murder this guy, get back at this guy, and that's what it was, kind of taking root. I don't have to get back at this guy to prove to myself. I know I'm, I know I'm the king, David said. What is identical about you? in every situation in life. What is identical about you, no matter what role that you play? What's the truest self? What's the stable core? What is unchanging about you? And if you're a Christian today, It should be your Christian identity. It should stabilize everything. But you know, you always hear people say things like, um, well, you know, business people say this. I remember I tried to rent something when we were planting a church in Georgia. I tried to rent a facility from this guy. And he goes, well, you know, I'm a Christian and all that, but but I don't mix a business with my Christianity. 
with my religion. Okay. That makes no sense whatsoever, but okay. See, he was a different person. Man, what would it be like? What would it be like for, for, for why is Merrill Thornton have the respect of everybody, not only in this church, but in this community? Because there was a core stabilizing him when he was a uh, farmer, when he, when he was a businessman, when he was welding something from somebody. There was a core that was there that everybody knew you could count on. And that was his Christian identity. That was the fact that he was a Christian. And that carried through everything. Whether he was trying to sell you a tractor or whether he was in church, you knew you were dealing with a Christian. That's identity. Well, why does everybody in town send people to Mark Brooks to get their car fixed? Well, let's just be honest. Mark Thomas. Mark Brooks is the pastor of Ahoff. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why does everybody send people to Mark? Because there's a core. He's going to be honest. Why is he going to be honest? He's just not, you know, he's Christian. People know that about him. He's going to shoot you right. If he, if he can't fix it, he'll tell you he can't fix it. And he'll send you to someone that he feels can, and you can trust his recommendation. And what you do is you always go to that person he recommends because you trust Mark. And why do you trust Mark? There's something identical about him, whether he's in that pew back there or whether he is in a Sunday school class or whether he's on his back underneath a car changing oil. And I could say the same thing about lots of As you go about your business this week and you play all those different roles that you will play, and a lot of you will play 10 or 11 different roles, I mean, probably. What's the stabilizing core? What guides you through every single one of those? What is identical about you in this role, this role, this role, this role, so forth and so on? And if you are a believer, and if you are a maturing Christian, it is your Christian identity. It is the fact that you are a son or daughter of the living God who has adopted you into his family, forgiven you because of no good thing that you've ever done, simply because of your grace. And you have received this, you've accepted this, you haven't earned this, you've just accepted this. And because you've just received and accepted this, you can't lose this. You just accepted it. And so, that's why every single Sunday we celebrate what we've accepted. And we've accepted Jesus' death as payment Jesus' death gives me my self-worth. It makes me good enough. It, his death makes me accepted in the beloved, the Bible says. And every Sunday, we, we, we follow the Bible that says, as often as you come together, remember the death of the Lord Jesus. And we do that every single Sunday. Because our identity is rooted in 
first and foremost, our acceptance, belief, and trust in what these two elements that we call sacraments teach us, remind us, memorialize for us, but also are very sacramental for us in our lives. 